Hello and welcome to the Touched with Fire podcast. I'm Joseph Jordan. This is the show on which we endeavor not to waste your time. We've got a short one this week as I've been dealing with equipment failure and a fractured ankle for a little while. Anyway, it occurred to me that I'd never given you any further info on the show. Since the story is short this time, I thought I'd give that a go. Uh, I am a writer and radio producer from Portland, Oregon, and I am that rare bird. I actually grew up here. Often people ask me, oh, where are you from in Portland? And in Portland, that's a more natural question than what do you do? Since everyone here is like a barista, but they're really an artisanal rake maker or whatever. I love Portland. It's my home. It's where I grew up. But the prevalence of people here who describe themselves as quote-unquote makers has begun to drive me a little bit nuts. I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I've realized that this has the quality of one raging against the dying of the light, but that word maker, ugh. I think I don't like it for the following two reasons. One, it's arrogant. It arrogates to the self the quality of making things, as though most humans aren't always making things all the time. And then, two, it's also often a lie. It means, man, I feel like I'm creative and stuff. I just haven't fully decided what it is that I'm into. The reality is that almost nobody can just make stuff and have any of that stuff be any good. If you want to be good, you have to make a choice. You have to work on a specific kind of thing, and usually for a long time. You are what you do, and if what you're actually doing is sculpting and felting and growing pot, you're not really a maker. You're just someone who lacks discipline. Anyways, you could probably tell I'm in a bit of a mood. Mostly because of the ankle. I haven't been able to go running in like two weeks, and that's the thing that keeps me sane. You know, I've never really had much success with antidepressants, but running, running a lot, keeps me from going crazy, and I can't do it right now. And then I tried to ride my bike instead, and then that hurt too, so... I don't know. Anyway, I, I realize now that uh, despite endeavoring not to waste your time, I have been wasting your time, so uh, I'm just going to cut this short and say if you're interested in more of my output, visit our website. That's touchedwithfire.fm, where you'll find a blog and links to my other work. And if you like the show, you can rate it on iTunes, but the thing you can really do at this point is tell your friends to listen. Look, I'm, I'm not remotely famous. I'm not associated with a podcast network. I'm a good writer and a good radio guy. Those are things I've worked on really hard. But I wouldn't mind some more listeners. That can't happen if the few of you who are already listening don't help me out. So in the spirit of not wasting your time any further, let's get on with the story. This is one I told on stage a few years ago. It's called Over the River and Through the Woods. This is Touch with Fire, Season 1, Episode 4. Uh, so the drive from Portland to Bend is 168 miles, and it goes <laughs> o- goes over a mountain and through a canyon, as I'm sure you know, and across an re- Indian reservation and through the rolling hills of the high desert. And in the winter, it can take as much as six hours to do. Sometimes it's not passable. And in the summer, an adventurous driver can do it in two and a half if they're not afraid of falling off the mountain. And conservatively, I'd say I, I've done this drive 200 times in my life because I grew up in Portland, where I learned to be liberal and atheistical and ecological. 
And my extended family, most importantly my grandfather, uh, lived in Bend, where people were libertarian and they shot things for fun. It's true. I'm, I'm working on it. And um, now you distract me, damn it. Uh, they sh did I say shot things for fun? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, every summer we did this drive, and again at Thanksgiving, and again at Christmas, so that we could be in my grandfather's presence and experience the earthquake of his personality, loud and, and, and powerful and irresistible and, and terrifying. And as the years went by, he, he got sick. And all his hair fell out, and, and he lost most of the weight that he'd had, and, and his skin grew papery and translucent. But in most respects, in mind and in spirit, he was not diminished. He flew a Cessna. He made things with his hands, toys and furniture. And, and he walked to work every morning. And it never seemed to occur to him to stop if his fingers shook or if he had to stop to vomit in the snow. He was undiminished by age and intended to remain so. And so it was a surprise when I received a phone call from my parents who were out traveling. And they told me that he'd come up against the end of it for good, that he had a few days of maybe a couple of weeks to go. And I was 16 and a newly licensed driver. And I had never made the trip from Portland to Bend by myself. And like most people that age, I had fantasized about the day on which I would be given control of a car and, and cut loose to go as far as I wanted. And I had dreams, literally dreams, in which cars flew and took me to fantastical places. But that morning, uh, once I'd loaded up a bag and stuck it in my parents' minivan, I found that I was frightened to drive and to travel and to stop. I was afraid I would get lost and uh, afraid I wouldn't get lost and of what I would find when I, when I got there. But I didn't have any excuses. It was a hot day, sunny and fine, and I, I had a driver's license. So I drove. I drove over the mountain and down through the canyon, and I listened to Springsteen tapes over and over and over again. And uh, on the high desert, I rolled down my windows and smelled the juniper on the wind. And then when I got to Bend, I kept going around and around in circles, up and down the big butte on the east end of town, across the river on every bridge there was, and into the old neighborhoods uh, where the cars were rusted out, there were savage dogs. And then when I had gone everywhere else you could go, I drove down the waterfront to the big house where my grandfather lived. And he was not well enough to answer the door. The housekeeper did that. And I found him sitting at the kitchen table. And he was wearing the same white work shirt that he always wore and had since before I was born. He had the same three pens in the pocket. But instead of pants, he, he wore pajama bottoms. And instead of wingtip shoes, he wore slippers. And uh, when he shook my hand, his, his grip was loose. And I could see his veins through his skin. He told me to sit, and I did. And he caused tuna fish sandwiches to be made, just like he'd done when I was a kid. But he didn't eat his. He looked out the window at the river, and he told me his feet had gone numb. And he said he couldn't piss standing up anymore. 
And then a man I didn't know arrived to pay his respects. And my grandfather made small talk and accepted flattery. But when the man left, my grandfather didn't speak for a very long time, which was not his way, before he said, God damn it, kid, I'm dying. It's no fun. And uh, I don't remember leaving his house. But not long later, he was gone, and I had never gathered the courage to go back. I went home, still frightened. And I am frightened yet to move, to stop moving. Because you never know what you'll find when you get where you're going. Thanks. Thanks.